Welcome to the Plant Cunning Podcast, where we explore a relationship to plants, other people, and the mysteries of nature. Coming to you from the High Allegheny Plateau in central New York, we are your hosts, A.C. Staubel and Isaac Hill. Episode 92, The Celestial Way with Chris Warnock. We interviewed Chris back in uh, March of 2021. And you can check that out if you'd like to hear his story. Um, I think that was episode 24. And Chris is a teacher of mine. Um, I've taken two courses of his, finished two courses of his, Astrological Magic and Horary Astrology. And in this episode, we're going to talk about his new book, The Celestial Way, which is basically a program of uh, spiritual practice for the astrologer. Um, now, he's going to be doing a keynote this weekend uh, at Astromagia, astromagia.org, and I will also be doing a presentation that I'm really excited to be doing, it's, and my presentation is going to be on uh, 17th century astrologer physicians in England. Uh, so if you want to check that out, go to astromagia.org, and that's going to be this upcoming weekend. Uh, it's October 8th through 10th, so uh, if you're listening to this past that date, don't worry about it. <laughs> But uh, anyway, let's get to the interview. Okay, so this is episode 92 of the Plant Coming Podcast, and uh, we are very excited to have Christopher Warnock back on the show. Christopher is one of my teachers. Uh, I've taken two of his courses, uh, and it was you know phenomenal courses. He's, he's also written many books, and you can go ahead and listen to that previous podcast if you want to hear his background. Uh, but Without any further ado, let's welcome Chris Warnock. How are you doing today? Great. How are you guys? Good. Yeah, good. You know, yeah. getting getting ready for that winter. <laughs> it's, it's coming. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's funny because I was talking to this worker. I take walks and he's, he, I think he was from Central America or something. And I was saying, oh, it's really dry. I said, yeah, it's a dry season. See, that's the what they have. Oh, yeah. Because they have wet season and dry season. Mm-hmm. And it's like, so our in Iowa, we're like switching, I think. Instead of having spring, summer, winter, fall, I think we're switching to wet season, dry season, which is yeah. a lot of dry. Yeah. So it's like, well, you guys with your plant stuff are obviously way tuned into that. And it's just like when you are that more attuned, you see these stuff going on. You see mm-hmm. the changes and the climate change stuff is really, really obvious if you're at all paying attention. Yeah. I mean, in some ways, like there are a lot of downsides. Uh, There are also, I mean, we're planting some, some plants that are, you know, we wouldn't be able to plant 10 years ago, for instance. So Mm. it's the change. It's the change. That's the problem. It's unpredictable. That's not what people are used to. Yeah. So that's also, you know, if it's widespread drought everywhere, that's a problem. Right. Right. Well, that's one of the reasons I like the Northeast because we water yeah we did have a drought this summer so we're kind of on the edge of the plain stuff so we're getting a lot right. of that but it's funny because astrology see is um is really about orienting yourself you mm-hmm. know and it's mostly focused on temporal yeah but it also has a, a, a you know a a locational it's not so much like a feng shui right but it has the capacity to do that so it's you know it's just that awareness and being you know and uh, it's funny because i was outside yesterday and it was like looking at the moon and stuff which people that's oh, you look at the moon i'm like not as an astrologer it's like being a like a cardiologist not a cardio i mean a you know um, a radiologist radiologist never looks at patients mm. right they're only looking at mris and x-rays 
you know, and that's why astrologers, we don't look at the sky, we look at charts, mm-hmm. you know, but nevertheless, you go out there and you're like, oh, okay, you know, there's this, there's this loss of orientation. That's really, I think, typical of modern, you know, and that's yeah. what's where astrology can be really, really helpful. But just being outside and doing growing, I mean, you have, you have to be very, that's why I like the landscaping stuff. I do all this stuff because it's like, you, you're like responsible for all these people, you know, and they're growing and everything. And, you know, mm-hmm. like I have my, uh, my rhododendrons are like turning, they have a tendency to kind of die off. And I'm like, is it overwatering? Is it underwatering? I'm just like, mm-hmm. you know, it's, it's just, but like, oh no, I feel, I feel responsible for, for all these all these plants mm-hmm. and everything. And I think that's part of it. It's all part of that similar process. And that's kind of what the, my book was about too, you know, is looking at these underlying patternings and connections. And yeah, a, I, lo- a loss of connection is really what we're, the modern society really suffers from in many ways. Yeah. And I think that this is so important. And you see a lot of people talking about animism lately. Um, but what really it's about is relationship, you know, and like all being in relationship with all of these people, you know, plants are people, the moon is a person. Um, and we've lost that in the modern world. I mean, it's a model. Yeah. You know, it's an approach. And yeah. calling it animism is like, ew, it's sort of like the, you know, like the bug on a pin thing. Like, you know, I, I remember that, like, you know, the scientific stuff, you go in this museum and it's full of dead whatever. Yeah. And it's like, it's kind of horrific, you know, and that's their view of it is kill it, stick it on a pin, and then you got it. You know what right. I mean? And so it's this dead individual thing, you know, as opposed to that's just part of this living reality. So, I mean, the animism, you know, again, the labeling, I mean, that's, that's where I'm at, basically, that's my model, you know, and it's personifications, but it's like, the uh, seeing what I consider to be I or you as a person is itself an abstraction, you know, and it's like, (laughs) the limitation of a person, I mean, that's not real, in the Buddhist view, there's no, there's no individual self, right? Right. So, you know, to think of and a good example of that is mother nature, which the scientists love to throw that around. It's like, mm-hmm. what? I mean, or another one I was reading recently was talking about pine trees, you know, conifers. And it said, well, the conifers, you know, they're earlier evolved earlier than the angiosperms, right? The flowering plants. And so they kind of got outcompeted by the deciduous angiosperms, like in North America. So I said, what the pines decided, and they said, put this way, they said, what the pines decided to do was go into mountains and then go into fire prone areas. And they adapted to be able to deal with fire, you know, and live in these mountains. Wait a second, you're ascribing this intelligence to this, you know, this entity, right? And if you if you call them on it, they oh no, that's not blah 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 <laughs> random mutation blah 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 it just happened. I'm like yeah. no, that's that's a reasonable modeling, right? Yeah. For that is to say that pine trees as a whole are a thing, right? Yeah. They're an entity. It's even and not even the individual pine tree necessarily. I mean, you can look at an individual pine tree as a person too, but you know, the, and that's what that God's it's like. Okay, this is the God. Well, it's not really real. It's but some metaphor. I'm like no 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 no. I mean like you, I'm a metaphor. <laughs> right right mm. i mean it's like and but you can interact with me perfectly reasonably you know with that model so so that's what i would say about it is a lot of what i'm talking about is like okay we do not have to determine the absolute objective reality because in my view there isn't one but that doesn't mean it's anything goes either right so it's it's all modeling you know more or less is a functional way of looking at things you know it's it's going to be from a particular perspective and it's it workable you know, yeah. it's kind of the, the approach, but the animistic stuff is interesting because it took me a long time to work into that. My wife kind of has it sort of naturally. Right. And so, 
But for me, it was a long time coming. And that's one of the reasons I liked traditional astrology because it's based on traditional philosophy and a traditional, what's a spiritual worldview. So it's consistent all the way through. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas what you see nowadays is people have what I call unconscious atheistic materialism and they layer whatever quote spiritual or magical stuff over the top of that. So atheistic materialism, and this is, I spent, I have a whole chapter in my book and I tried to be really clear about it. One of the things I like about Buddhism is that they try to be very, very clear. So I tried to kind of follow that example about worldview and then what the atheistic materialistic worldview is. And, um, and there's a lot of different, because different people call it different things. Like some people call it materialism, which to me sounds a bit like being greedy, you know, you're materialistic, right? As opposed to atheistic materialism, which is what I define, how I define it is that this is a worldview that, first of all, what's a worldview? So worldview is your conscious philosophy, but also your unconscious assumptions about reality. And so really it is your reality. Yeah. But what's crazy about worldview is that there can be different ones. And that's really, (laughs) that's the big stumbling block for most people is because reality is reality. And my reality is reality. And what you think is reality, if it differs from me, you're crazy. You're just insane. And so that's, there's not, there's not alternate worldviews. There's just reality. And so that's, that's problematic because it's unconscious. So the worldview is, and it's not something that you choose. It's something that on one hand is generally given to you by your society, by your upbringing, you know, um, maybe your personality or family. And really what's happening is you are an instantiation of worldview. Mm. So rather than I have a worldview, I mean, really the worldview is the unit and you're just kind of an individual manifestation of it. But you can think about, I mean, how many times have you walked, ran into somebody who said, yeah, blah, 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 blah. And you're like, yeah, I read that New York Times article too. Uh (laughs) And that's, they got this opinion and they're really blah, 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 blah about it. Just regurgitating it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that's like, but it's my opinion. It's like, that's an obvious example of that is because- you know, and the amount of people, number of people that contact me, and they're the ten thousandth person to have exactly the same idea. <laughs> yeah. Like, for example, oh, can you use astrology to to for the stock market? It's like, <laughs> yeah, you're the only person who ever thought that. Just the light went off, and you, you know, it's like, which, and my answer is basically, I mean, maybe somebody else can, but I can't. Mm-hmm. If they could, why would they tell you? <laughs> yeah. Right. If you could make billions of dollars and that you're a brilliant stock picker, right? Why would you tell? I mean, I could, I, if I, I could sell it. There's a lot of people selling stock systems and everything, but hope springs eternal. That's another thing. It's like lottery. Do not tell people they're not going to win the lottery. Just get them very upset, <laughs> taking their hope away. Mm-hmm. This is this yeah. is their solution, you know. Mm-hmm. And it's like they don't want to hear that. So, but anyhow, that's what I'm saying is that. And I'm the same way. I'm like, I have some weird stuff. I have weird models and everything, but I still am not unique, special. You know what I mean? I'm unique like a snowflake. Well, you know? so there may be, there may be an, an objective world, but- no, I don't think so. The, How would you know? How would you well, have exactly. any idea whether would it be or not? Right, exactly. Like, well, exactly. There could be one, but it, it, we, everyone has their worldview as, or worldviews as goggles in between- them and what it i don't think that's true okay i don't think that's true we'd have no evidence there's an objective reality <laughs> well the only evidence, also don't have have any evidence that there isn't no, but that's 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 far different from saying i mean there's no evidence i'm superman well, there's no evidence i'm not superman you know what i mean what's which of those is more persuasive yeah. right 
I mean, I'm Superman. <laughs> well, you don't have, you're not, you don't have invulnerable. You can't fly, but, like, but you can't prove it. You can't prove I'm not Superman. Well, again, like, I'm not saying that there is an objective reality, but there could be one. It's why, why do you want it? The reason that you want to say that is because you come out of atheistic materialistic view with a scientist that insists there is. So mm. we're pushed, we're pulled towards that because we want to believe in that. Right. Mm. But if we were to step away from it and just open and say, okay, because here's the thing, what are you, you, what you, what you are in contact with is your mind. And when right. you see something, what's happening is the, you know, scientific, the light rays are hitting the retinas and then they're being converted to electrochemical impulses and they're going to the brain and then they're being perceived by the mind, however you want to play with that, right? So you're not, the thing that you see is not in your, in your head, right? You have no direct yeah. perception of it. Everything is, is being perceived in mind. Yeah, right? everything is mediated. There's always a mediation of But the, I wouldn't say mediated either. Because it really, it's created. And if you think about like, it's funny because I did this new talisman. I don't have an example of it. Oh, here it is. Okay. Ah. Now look at her face, right? Uh-huh. Now only thing that's shown on her face is her eyes and her lips. Mm-hmm. But your mind fills in all of it. Yeah. It looks like a totally realistic, hyper-realistic drawing of her face, doesn't it? Hmm. But your mind, look how much, think of, look at that carefully and how much of your mind is filling in that image. Yeah. <laughs> Right. And that's true of reality. Mm. Right. It's all being filled in like memory. Memory is just like not a camera. It's just like completely recreating stuff. You know, it's like that's why witness testimony is so all over the place, you know. And so so that's what I would say is if we just focus on what we actually know and actually experience, that's we're just you know what I'm saying? Then it really undermines Mm. the view. I mean, there could be I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff. You know, there's all sorts of possibilities. Right. But in terms of just empirically, what are we in contact with? It's subjective. But if you want to think there's a certain objective reality, that's your trip. You can do that. I mean, that's that's what atheistic materialism. And that's the thing about it is that what I would say about that, like the scientist. Right. So what you do. And again, let me I should talk about atheistic materialism. Atheistic materialism is the view that nothing exists except matter and energy. And of course, those are the same. Right. Equal MC squared. They're just forms of each other. But nothing else exists other than that. So. If you want to think like a thought, what's a thought? Okay, a thought is electrochemical impulses in the brain, right? And that can be broken down to, you know, molecules and atoms and subatomic particles and, you know, whatever. That's really what we're talking about is, you know, this interaction of, of these subatomic particles, mm-hmm. you know? And so you talk God, obviously there's no God. Obviously there's no soul. Obviously there's no spiritual connection things. There's no angels, none of that stuff. Telekinesis, all that stuff is just all not true and it's like because obviously there's nothing except matter and energy that couldn't be anything else just that's the way it's reality and um so that's the predominant worldview of moderns and we all come out of that mm-hmm. i mean everybody's we're sort of swimming around in that and people will have a, a an intuitive pull or be made in a different like i said my wife was always very animistic right but Philosophically, if you push people on it, they'll typically, you know, they'll they have to arrange things in terms of the atheistic materialism, and that's still how people see things. So, for example, a good example of that sort of reverse engineering is people are always, you know, contacting me, and in fact, I have a whole page on on zodiacs, and they're like, "Why are you using the tropical zodiac? It's bogus because it doesn't conform to the material stars." And but the fact is, the tropical zodiac is oriented to the seasons. Right. So, for example, when you go on the weather report and they say it's the first day of spring, what he's really saying is the sun entered Aries. <laughs> say that, but that's exactly what it is. And so what happens right. is the sun goes into Aries on the spring equinox, close to the spring equinox. 
into cancer on the summer solstice, you know, when the, when the sun stops its apparent movement towards the north and, and then starts going south again. And then the fall equinox is um, Libra, sun enters Libra. And then Capricorn, when sun goes Capricorn is winter solstice, when the sun stops going to the south and starts going back to the north again. So it's oriented to the seasons. And then the meaning of all the signs is very seasonal. Like Aries is like hot, moving quickly, change, things like that. So that's not crazy. And, um, but see, they want to throw all that out because it doesn't fit the material stars because matter is the ultimate and truth tester because that's all there is, right? So if you want to find out what something's true or not, you test it against a material object or a material thing. And so, and that's just very logical, but that's unexamined. It's just automatic. And if you ask people about it, they're like, oh no, I'm a spiritual person. But, but you still have to use them, you know, that's, the, you know, constellational zodiac is the best. So this is what's going on a lot of time, like new age stuff is that way too, mm -hmm. you know, or like, so, yeah, go ahead. So what is spirituality to you? Ah, okay. <laughs> so that's a big question. So this is the thing is it's non-material, non-energetic, right? So that's like, okay, whoa, that's kind of crazy. So what you can start thinking about it, a lot of it is you don't want to be just conceptualizing it because if it's just playing with it as concepts, right? This is again, what an academic does. Like a, a philosophy professor now would like, would tell you about Plato or whatever, but it's obviously garbage, right? It's not really true. I mean, because we know what the truth is an objective reality and it's matter and energy. And they wouldn't even necessarily say that, but that's what's underlying the approach. So, I mean, let's give some examples of it. Um, so one of the ones I like to use is like, if you think of an African savanna, an African savanna has a carrying capacity, ecological carrying capacity. So even before there's any life there, you've got a certain amount of sunlight, you've got a certain amount of rain, you have certain nutrients in the soil, you've got a certain amount of space. Mm -hmm. And so you have niches, ecological niches already built in. So you can, the carrying capacity is like, a, like whatever, a million tons of vegetative biomass, and then a hundred thousand tons of herbivore biomass, and then a thousand tons of predator biomass, right? And that's already preset before anything even is living there. And so when life comes along, it's got all these categories that can, kind of, it's like an ice cube tray, you can pour it in there. It's already there. And so an, another example is convergent evolution. So you think mm -hmm. of a Tasmanian devil, right? It looks like a wolf. It's a marsupial, right? It's not at all related to wolves, but because it's fulfilling the same ecological niche, it looks the same and, and it acts the same, mm -hmm. right? Life is poured into these niches that are pre-existing. And That's it's like an idea. Yeah, the whole ecological web of interrelationships pre-exists any life being it there at all. So um, that's one way to think about it. Another one is if you come go to Sufism and Islamic mysticism, they talk about the 99 beautiful names of Allah. And Allah has infinite names, but the 99 beautiful names are the respect, you know, it's most respectful to call him or her or whatever. It's not really gendered by these names. So the 99 beautiful names like Irrahman Rahim, the merciful, the compassionate. So like every time you start something, in the name of the merciful and the compassionate. So each of these names though is, has two sides because like, for example, Arab is the Lord, but to be the Lord, Allah needs a servant. So the, the, the God, the Allah as the Lord cannot exist without the servant and the servant needs a Lord obviously to exist. The relationship is spiritual, right? You can't see that anywhere. Right. But that and, and, and a, a physical example of that is like fathers and sons, like fatherhood. Where's fatherhood? I see fathers and sons, but I don't see fatherhood. That's an inherent relationship. Right. Mm. And these built in inherent relationships are spiritual. That's spirituality. 
So, or the platonic ideas. I was reading this guy, he'd, he'd become a, he studied math, like he was 65 and decided he wanted to learn math. So he learned all this math and he said, well, he said, the problem is deciding whether math is it's created by humans or whether it's the platonic ideas of these shadowy ghosts in some other place. And I'm like, dude, you don't understand at all what you're talking about because the platonic ideas are not physical. They're not in some other location. They're right here, right now. They're the underlying patternings of reality. Hmm. You know? And so it's, and, and thinking of it, like I said, in terms of these relationships is really a useful way of thinking about it and the patterning. But if you want to go further with it, if you look at the spiritual traditions, you know, and philosophies like Hermeticism or Taoism or whatever, they're based on unity. They're based on the one. And mm -hmm. so while there's apparent diversity, there's in fact unity. Because if you're talking about different types of causality, it's all individual things bumping off each other and connecting to each other. That's not really. So ultimately, what I, my favorite model right now for reality that I'm working as a model mm -hmm. is what I call dream causality, <laughs> right? So if you think of like, you're having a dream and you're, you see there's a hill and a rock rolls down the hill and hits a bottle, right? And smashes the bottle. What's going on? Was it really a rock? Was it really smashing the bottle? It's like, no, the unity is because there's one dreamer, mm. right? The unity <laughs> yeah. is a unity of consciousness. And in fact, there is, when you think about a dream, the I in the dream is a dream character, just like the other, you know, people in the dream. Mm -hmm. There are no real, I mean, there's not you, right? It's not your mm -hmm. physical body. It's like, it's just, the, it's, it's this, it's the, what the, you know, in Buddhism or Hindus, they call manas, the eye sense, right? So really what you have is the dream and awareness of the dream and they're interconnected. And so that's ultimately the spiritual, you know, for me, it's because I'm a, from a Buddhist perspective, it's awareness. Right. Like, and so that also takes us to the swampy <laughs> morass of, well, like modern non-dual teachings, which I have found to be very, very, very helpful in some ways, but also there are a lot of non-dualists who are just kind of mucking about, <laughs> not really saying. Well, I, and that's where I had my, you know, mm. I mean, I can't say I, where the Kensho experiences were experienced and they don't frame it as Kensho. I think they call it awakening or whatever. Mm. But since I'm coming from a Zen Buddhist background, that's how I conceptualize it, which Kensho is like a taste of, of no self. Yeah. Right? And so the non-dual stuff is useless unless you have the experience, right? Right. And so the, and the primary experience there is going to be no self, right? And so, um, which is a little hard to explain to people because that's the most central reality is that of me, you know, Descartes, I think therefore I am. It's like, wait a second. As soon as you say I, then you don't need to, I mean, that's kind of a nonsensical statement. You're already assuming the I, you know, right. and, and then the not proving anything with that. Right. But the non-dual, the problem with the non-dual from my perspective is that it, they tend to want to reinvent the wheel being mm -hmm. modern people and they disrespect the traditions and they're not necessarily rooted in the traditions. In fact, they're rebellious against tradition. Right. There's they, this they do it themselves and yeah. they don't have the, I mean, like the Bodhisattva thing, non-duals will be like, well, nothing really exists. So I can do whatever I want. And I'm like, dude, you're just don't even, you know what I mean? It's like, you need to like study and work with the stuff. And, the, but at the same time, I was doing Zen and there's not, no, those guys didn't believe there was enlightenment. Right. So yeah. I'm like, I mean, I love the ritual. I love the prep and everything, but I was not, I was not advancing in terms of becoming uh, enlightened. And so the modern non-dual, I was able to have somebody direct point for me. And um, so that was very helpful. So that's, that is very much, I think the non modern non-dual is the most vibrant cutting edge, mm -hmm. modern spiritual approach. 
it, like anything else has its problems, but yeah. it's like, it is the best. Now, you know, you've got all the different possible paths. You've got a bhakti path, which are mm-hmm. devotional paths. You've got the nana yoga, which is inquiry, like non-dual stuff, Advaita Vedanta, Kashmiri Shaivism. You've got tantric, you know, all these different approaches, which are all valid if that's your thing. It's just that for me, it's been, this is what the problem I had with the book was that I wanted to do talk about spiritual astrology, but my enlightenment experiences have all been inquiry path, mm-hmm. not whereas the astrological magic astrology is more of a tantric path, really. Yeah. It's more of a theurgic right. path. And so what I recognized though was that people weren't even ready for kindergarten in terms of a spiritual path. So my job was to be a kindergarten teacher and to basically do the really the most preliminary basic stuff, which is acknowledging there is a spiritual realm right in a real way and then coming into contact with it and then giving people some devotional practices so that's what i tried to do with the book mm-hmm. was to just because modern i mean traditional someone in a traditional society would not need to be given all this background stuff yeah it's kind of sad that you have to like start with there is a spiritual world well, what even does that mean mm-hmm. spiritual to most people means good uh-huh. I'm a spiritual person. I'm a good person. I mean, there's dirt uh-huh. synonymous or it means psychological and psychological, uh-huh. like I said, is just brain chemistry, yeah. you know? So that's, that's what spiritual means. Spiritual is I drive a, a hybrid, you know, I drive a, a whatever electric car and I'll say, I'm not to feel guilty about it. And maybe before we go on too much, you can just uh, tell us a little bit about the, the latest book, Celestial Way. Yeah. So this is the paperback version of it. I hold it up. Um, so a way, you know, in, in a do in, in Japan is like a traditional, like they talk about traditional crafts, but like Bushido is the way of the warrior or Chado is the way of tea. And these are these practices and studies intermixed that are taken to a very high level of mastery, but are also seen as spiritual paths. So a very practical approach, but having a, a spiritual purpose. So that was kind of my inspiration for this was like, can you use astrology as part of a spiritual path? And so I mean, I had not become enlightened through astrology, so I can't say it's a complete right-hand spiritual path, but nevertheless, I think it has a lot of potential for, because of the fact that astrology and astrological magic are applied spirituality. I mean, they only work through the spiritual connection of all things. And so um, by working with them, I mean, I've done 5,000 horaries, you know, do about a hundred horaries and they turn out to be, no, not always right, but it's uncanny. This, the way the horary reflects the situation. And you're like, wait a second, if everything's random, you know, nihilist, modern stuff, nihilistic, you know, whatever, it's all random, how can it work? And so if it does work, then maybe reality isn't nihilist. Maybe it isn't just random. You know? Yeah. And that's very important for people who don't even understand like what, you know, think of spirituality as just psychology or being good because you have to have a, some sort of experience, some direct experience of something more meaningful than modern nihilism, you know, to, to even be able to, to, for it to be real <laughs> at all to you, you know? I mean, this is the, this is the thing is that the, again, the modern approach, it's very much academic and the academic approach is to be objective, which is like, you don't engage with a thing. Now, one of the things I love, for example, like I, I was trying to decide when I, was, when I was in high school between sociology and history, because I love sociology. One of the things I love about sociology is participant observation. And so people will go out and do things and then write about it. Like, like I have a couple of these, like one person, she's a professor. She became a, a, a 
garbage truck driver in New York. So she writes, all about, it's very complex. I mean, garbage collection is incredibly complicated and incredibly important. It's probably the most important public service that the you know, municipalities provide. Really complex. Or another guy became a, a guard at Sing Sing. And so they're writing about it. So they're experiencing it, yet they have this professional background that allows them to be able to step back from it a little bit too. So that's, I think, is probably the ideal stance for things. But if all you're doing is like, oh, I'm studying about it, you know, particularly, it becomes particularly a problem for academic studies of astrology and magic. Mm -hmm. Because yeah. the yeah. problem is, is that since the official ideology is atheistic materialism, then astrology and magic don't, they're, are fiction, are fake. Yeah. And so how you study something that's fake, like I said, it's sort of like, you know, I don't know, like I said, again, you, if I don't know how you can have a perspective about it if you think it's not even real. I mean, yeah. certainly from a practitioner standpoint, I have a problem with someone telling me I'm the expert and, but what you're doing isn't, is fake. Yeah. So it's a little, but people still are very much caught by the academic approach. And so, you know, that's something I rant about to a certain extent, but I mean, I think it's like, you know, um, cause people say to me, it's like, oh, well, so-and-so, you know, they were, they, they're, they're a magician. I'm like, well, there's no evidence of it in their professional work. It's a bit like being gay in the fifties. I mean, if you come out, you're going to be thrown out, you know, otherwise you have to hide it, but it's like, you cannot publish a peer reviewed journal, academic or scientific journal and say that angels are real or magic works. You're not going to be permitted to do that mm. because it's fake. Yeah. I mean, that's just, this is, this is goes, you're irrational. I mean, I saw people say, oh no, it's true. And I got the National Science Foundation thing about astrology. Like, well, this cred, only credulous people believe in this pseudoscientific garbage. You know what I mean? It's like, that's the official US government scientific approach is that right. it's not, it's fake. And so that's the first thing that people have difficult facing up to is that, I mean, I love it. I'm into it. But to me, the prestigious things in my society are academics and science, mm -hmm. right? It's like science and religion are coming together. It's like they cannot come together. They've been at war with each other since the, the 18th century, you know? And part of what I talk about is what I call the truce. Mm -hmm. And the truce is that the scientific elites, the academic elites, the atheistic materialists are allowed to determine the nature of reality. But if you're religious, you can compartmentalize it and believe in God, but you still let them determine the nature of reality. So again, it's very compartmentalized. So I believe in God, but everything else is you know, scientific, you know? And so it's not very logical. And that's why the, the few hardcore atheists get really upset because they're like, everybody knows there's not a God. Like, <laughs> you know, you know but basically everyone can be, is allowed to be double think. Now it doesn't apply to astrology though. Cause like, for example, if you're Catholic, no one's going to attack you for believing in transubstantiation, mm -hmm. right? But astrology, you, they're going to come after you. And which I had the problem as a lawyer, I got the bar came after me. I had to fight them off. They wanted to, they wanted to disbar me for being an astrologer. Wow. Basically. Yeah. Which everyone's like, what? I'm like, you don't understand what the <laughs> way that the elites are. They'll tolerate, they'll tolerate in the masses, this hysteria. That's okay with them. But yeah. If you, if, if you try to say it's real, right now, it's interesting. Like in New York, it's a felony to do astrology and say it's real. But if you say it's entertainment, it's okay. <laughs> So that's right. the purest expression of that. Yeah, so like if you say it's real, you're a felon. They just let everybody do it. They don't enforce that, but that's the way the law reads. So, um, so the, what, what what is really cool about this book um, is you're you're saying you're making you're offering a spiritual practice in astrology to get the the training wheels and to to experience the higher realms. Um, that's a way of saying it. Yeah, but, basically. 
but so in going back to non-dualism, um, one of the problems I see in, in contemporary non-dual, especially in the United States, non-dual teachings, is this idea that, well, this may be true ultimately, <laughs> if there is an objective reality anyway, but like, yeah, you don't exist and nothing that you do can make you enlightened. So just drop everything and then you're enlightened. And that I think, and that, that, that's not what most people that's not what the what I think the real deal people who are who are actually I guess, say, but that is in in the non dual scene. Like if you look at like who at the gas pump, there that just comes up time and time again. Well, and Rick, so Rick talks too much, anyways. <laughs> but he does an interview by talking about what his own opinion is. Half the time, but I mean, I mean, I he's great. I like Rick Archer. He's got to expose yeah. a lot of people. But yeah, it's like, but here's what I would say about that: is that the 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 they're muddling because here's the thing in Buddhism, they talk about upaya, skillful means, mm. right? And so there's a story about the Buddha and he's like, there's a, a, he's got these children inside the house and the house is on fire. He's got to get them out of the house. So if he goes in and says, it's on fire, they'll freak out and they won't be able to get out of the house. So he does go and go, goes in. He says, you know what? Outside there are these great feet, these great carts. You're going to love them. They'll be awesome. You can play in the cart. Let's go outside and you can play in the cart. And they're like, okay, cool. They go outside. And so he saves them from the burning building. And then the carts are the vehicles, you know, the Inayana, Mahayana, and the Vajrayana. Or mm -hmm. So he's like, he lied to them, but he needed to tell them, give them, because he, he only had their best interests at heart. He wanted to help them. He knew if he said the place is on fire, they were going to freak. So he mm -hmm. gave them the message that was appropriate for the level of understanding that they're at. And not yeah. in a negative way. He wasn't trying to manipulate them or screw them over or anything. He's trying to help them. So that's what a pie is, a skillful means. And you give people a knowledge that's appropriate to their level of understanding that they can actually use, right? Yeah. And so to say to a regular person with from an atheistic materialistic viewpoint that you're not there, there's nothing you can do is not very helpful for them. <laughs> right, yeah. It is useful though for somebody who's had these experiences of no self and has been trying to do like, I'm going to meditate really hard and that'll be enlightened that way. It's like, in fact, the ego self, it's not true that the ego self can do nothing, right? Towards enlightenment. What the ego self can do is get out of the way. The ego self can be willing to be other than it is. Mm -hmm. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. As opposed to, I'm going to be enlightened. It's like, you never, the ego self is never going to be enlightened. But the ego right. self is like, okay, I'm, I'm willing to, because I mean, I'll give an example sort of that. I was like, before I met my non-dual I won't exactly call him a teacher. He was a pointer. I was doing zazen, you know, sitting meditation, 40 minutes in the morning and 40 minutes in the evening. That's a lot of zazen. And it's like, it's helpful from the standpoint of like relaxing me or whatever, sitting still, but it didn't make me enlightened. But what it was, was I was willing. It was a very conscious manifestation of my willingness. Right. Like I'm willing to do this, like an austerity, you know, mm. it's like, I'm willing to do this to show that I'm ready. And it's like, maybe it has nothing to do directly with it, but it's also what it is manifesting is a willingness to, to um, be other than, you know, what I, what I am, you know? Yeah. So that's what I would say about it is that the, the, the usefulness of having being grounded in a tradition is like Buddhism, for example, is there's been thousands of people that have come before you to have thought about it. And you don't have to try to reinvent the wheel. Right? Yeah. And so, um, you know, but it doesn't, obviously Buddhism isn't for everybody. Right. Right. But it's like, it's, yeah. it's a fully worked out system in a lot of ways that you can, you know, you don't have to try to figure everything out for yourself. Whereas the, again, the modern non-dual is like, oh, I don't need all that stuff. I'll just make it up myself. And it ends up being the same old rehash, new age, you know, foolishness. Right. And that's the problem is I think, but. Um, there, are they also oftentimes I've, I, well, I've heard this said a lot 
that, you, you know, no practice can, will get you there. So no practice is useful, you know, that argument. And I find that, you know, as you not true though, it's not true because it's like my non-dual teacher, he like had a sequence of stuff of, of, he had a sequence he went through with most people, Uh right. Of basically, he's almost like cross-examination, like (laughs) ask you these questions. Like, what about this? What about this? What about that? And if you go through that sequence with him and you're ripe, Uh then you pretty much everybody had Kensho experiences. And that ripeness is key though. And yeah, I think yeah, that to get that ripeness like, takes practice and takes well, it's grace. Well, <laughs> it's a combination of you know, it's like I said, you can look at the outside of it and say, "Oh, this is grace," or "Oh, this is effort." But the reality is, it's a com- it's too complicated mm-hmm. to figure out what it is. And it's like not everyone who caught the gaz- who chased the gazelle caught it, but no one who didn't chase the gazelle caught it. Right. Right. Exactly. I mean, effort is necessary at some point. Yeah. But the relaxation, the relaxation of effort, is also necessary. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Well, the, so the, if you follow, if you want to follow blindly either one of those approaches, then you're not gonna. It's not gonna be successful. Yeah. So it's like, and what? What's the point of being enlightened anyway? It's like <laughs> the reason you are enlightened is because it's like why does a hawk fly? Because a hawk flies because it's meant to fly, right? Uh, the the horse runs because it's meant to to gallop. It's like people that become enlightened. That's just your thing, and it's but it's not better to be enlightened than unenlightened. It's all this. It's all equally ultimately the same. It's all we all have the Buddha nature, right? Mm-hmm. Everything is the Buddha nature, and everything is of the same value, you know. So mm-hmm. ultimately, you become enlightened because that's your dharma. Mm-hmm. But that's not like oh, we got to get enlightened. Oh, got to get to work. That's a good American thing. Got to get to work. Get me something to do and work hard and all achieve everything. It's like and they just take that right over to the spiritual realm and start, mm-hmm. you know, working away at it. You know, so I'm meditating really hard. And when's it going to happen? And, um, <laughs> Yeah, I know. I've I've been there (laughs) for sure. So, but that's like, ultimately it doesn't matter. It's Mm. like, it's just like, it's not, all this is equally valuable. Mm -hmm. You know, it's more fun. I like, I don't like failure, but it's like, it's certainly, I mean, awareness doesn't care. Mm -hmm. It's true. Well, I'm, I've liked the non-dual stuff. Good for you. It's like, I haven't had anyone give me that kind of high level, um, well, that's where I, that's where I'm it's like, from. well, this is like really like pretty sophisticated stuff. Cause most people are just like, well, I don't like Jesus. I was abused as a child and I don't like Christianity. So I'm like, okay, that's, and we're not, I mean, yeah, that's valid. I mean, I don't like a lot of this fundamentalist stuff. I can't stand. It drives me yeah. crazy, Yeah, but um, that's not what we're talking about. Right. I mean, well, so somebody talking about non-dual. I'm like, whoa. <laughs> <You know? laughs> well, that, that's like, that was my first spiritual, you know, uh, tradition is actually a, basically a non-dual tradition. Oh, that's not a good start then. Well, yeah. So then I had to get it's better the as like graduate school. <laughs> I mean, non-dual is like a grad levels thing. And you've tried, you know, I mean, that's what, I mean, again, that's what I did. I mean, I was doing all the Zen and Sufism and stuff like that. So it's like, yeah, but, um, well, yeah. So I needed the practices, you know, I need why. Well, and there, and the, the tradition that I came come from, there are, you know, he does that there are practices to do, you know, you, you should be meditating every day. You should be doing these things. Um, but there's not like a system, you know, and I think a lot of people really do need like a system to get started. So that's and, what I'm talking about. The non-dual you know. see non-dual is like Zen or Zogchen. Yeah. It's right, direct pointing. Right. Yeah. That's what it is. It's like direct pointing and it's like, that's the real value of it. And, uh, and, you know, but that takes a really advanced 
you know, practitioner to be able to be ready for direct, to, to be conscious of the direct pointing of reality when it's pointed out to them, you know? So, so is this what um, the, the role of, or can be the role of magic on the spiritual path is to open people up to the spiritual plane and to ripen them a little bit? <laughs> yeah, that's what I, I mean. What I'm doing is I'm like, I'm saying, okay, well, how do you, how do you get yourself ready to follow a spiritual path, uh-huh. right? And before you follow a spiritual path, you have to, just like you asked me, what's spirituality? I'm like, well, you got to understand that. And then once you have a concept of it, then you need to encounter it. So it's a real, a lived reality for you. And then my recommendation, I mean, even though I have a strong inquiry path, you know, is that the bhakti stuff, the devotional stuff is really useful. Everybody probably needs that in their spiritual path. Mm-hmm. And so um, the devotion, because that's my, my approach to astrological magic is very devotional. Yeah. It doesn't have to be, but I mean, I'm more of a celestial priest than I am astrological magician. And again, mm-hmm. there's nothing wrong. It's like, because there's a pejorative or, you know, there's a tendency of these labels, it's like it's good or bad. And obviously I prefer what I do, obviously, but it's not like there's a best way or a wrong way to do it. But so, so my approach, even with making a talisman is, okay, this is, we're invoking an angel and we're asking to have for a connection and we're being respectful and we're hanging out with them and getting the benefit of that. And it's self-transformational as well as transforming the, I mean, a love talisman, people think of it, get me a girlfriend or whatever, get me a boyfriend. It's like, well, how about transforming yourself? So you're more Mm -hmm. loving person. Mm -hmm. Right. right. Those are both, yeah. if, you know, both of those are worthwhile, but mm-hmm. it's like, you know, that's more of the focus. And then, so I have a, a list of the, some of the practices I have um, devotional practice, like the daily planetary practice. Yeah. So so that is that, yeah. basically a devotional practice where every day, every day of the week is ruled by a planet. That's where the week comes from is from planets. Mm-hmm. So moon day is the moon, Sunday's the sun, Saturday, Saturn. And then on that day, you, what I basically do is light a candle and some incense and do a really brief invocation of the planet that rules the day. And you could use a planetary hour too, if you wanted to. I mean, it doesn't fit with my schedule because I like to do it in the evening. Mm-hmm. And, um, so it's what I call a low intensity practice, which is that you're only timing one thing, like the, the day or maybe the hour. So it's not a heavily, you're not getting a heavy dose of the, of the power of that planet. So it's low intensity, but it's very repetitive. It's like drip, mm-hmm. drip, 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 drip. I've been doing it for 15 years. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so it's helped me build up a very strong connection to the planet, planetary angels. And so, um, you know, I just, that's that's a, a good example of a, of a devotional practice. Mm-hmm. And um, see, if you make a talisman, the entire high and low intensity, a talisman, when I'm making the, I'm looking at a chart that's got multiple factors. So a sun talisman might be sun rising or sun culminating, sun in Leo or Aries, sun hour, and then sun unafflicted. That's a very strong sun. So I call that, that's a high intensity practice. You're getting a very intense, you know, experience of the solar energy or power, however you want to conceptualize it with that talisman. And, um, but it doesn't come up very often. So, I mean, these, yeah. these high intensity moments that you're sort of capturing in a talisman, maybe for like 45 minutes or an hour at most, it's only going to come up you know, twice a year, three times, two, two, three times a year with that sun. And yeah. so and then so, Jupiter or yeah, exactly. Saturn, that might like, take a long, <laughs> longer time. Yeah. So the nice thing about the, the low intensity practice is that you don't have to worry about the interaction, like whatever your, you know, natal or whatever, any kind of contraindications for it. And mm. it's the powers from the repetition. Mm. And so, cause there's a tendency like, what's the most powerful? Yeah, that's the greatest. It's like, well, you just see what's appropriate to your circumstances. So right. Um, and then planetary charity is another one, which is that 
This yeah. is kind of adapted from Vedic astrology. So it's like you make a vow to the planet, you know, at, at their hour, usually their day and hour, but at least their hour. And you say, I'm going to, you know, donate whatever it is. You, know, you, could, you could do seven or three or whatever. There's certain numbers that are appropriate for the planets to appropriate like a charity or person. Like so for, for Saturn, you could do a homeless person. I mean, it's almost a lot of places, sadly, we live, you could easily find a homeless person. So every Saturday, Saturn hour, you'd make a donation to a homeless person or a charity. A lot of times people do online because that's easier. It may not be able to arrange for that kind of stuff. And so and that's a way of kind well. of improving yeah. your relationship with the planet. And so they, and you, if you make the vow, you don't want to break it. Uh-huh. Right. That's the thing is it's important to do that. I mean, it's like having a friend, you don't get along, you've had an argument with them and you're like, I'm going to come over and then you don't come over. Mm. It's like it's not yeah. making it any better. Right. Might as well, you promised and broke it. You don't even make the promise in the first place. So it's important to, it's not like deadly though. That's another thing people get really freaked out about. Like, oh no, it's like, yeah. do your best, be respectful. If something comes up, the planets are under relatively, they're angels, but it's like, don't just, oh, I forgot. So like, yeah. yeah, that's that, not So that's especially good for people who have, who might have a, a planet in their chart that is not in a good position. Yeah. Like in their fall. Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Afflicted plants. So that's a good way. You can, you can, you can do plants to share for any planet, no matter right. what they are in your chart, no matter what the affliction of it is. It's just, it's a low, like it's very low intensity. It's all very respectful. Yeah. You're not asking for anything. Like, I like you. I want to get along better with you. And I'm mm-hmm. doing this extra stuff, you know, whereas talisman, it's often like, gimme. Sure. You know? So that's a less respectful. It's not bad. It's just, you know, that you're just being super respectful with charity. Mm. So, so those are kind of the thing. Now, you know, it's interesting because the daily planetary practice kind of, I don't even remember how I started doing it, but I did. I realized that Robert Zoller, who was kind of sort of my, one of my, you know, ph- philosophical magic teacher, didn't teach me practical magic. Um, he has this handout that he gave me that was talking about the Haranian Sabians, which are the, the source of Picatrix, the planetary invocations. And he talks about they having something that sounded like the planetary practice, like on the, on the at dawn on the day of the planet, you would like face the planet and prostrate and do this whole invocation of them. So it's like, you know, I invented it or it's sort of like, I don't know, manifested through me sort of. It's like, obviously I mean, I've been doing it for a long time. So, but see a lot of the modern view is that you create everything as mm. opposed to the fact that a lot of times you're manifesting it, mm-hmm. you know? and yeah. like an artist, you know, or a novelist, they say the art and the novel wrote itself. Right. Yeah. You're like, Oh, ha ha. Yeah. Right. Your brain, your brain chemistry did it. But well, like, I mean, so I'm actually, a songwriter. It's just, it, yeah. It you, say, you understand how that works. It's, a, it's a both. It's a, it's, it's, you're, you're a vessel for it, but you have to have the, the personality is makes it at the same time it's a channel you're not the ultimate i mean obviously it's like it's like you're like stained glass with light coming through it yeah yeah it's like you're gonna filter that depending on who you are and your perspective but yeah so that's what i i mean one of the things i feel like that well actually two areas i mean my main career areas i mean as a lawyer have a super strong sense of being a vessel of particularly of the common law which is our english legal tradition that's a thousand years old that's super strong still is like the bedrock of our of our of our culture and everything and and the astrology too and astrological magic because i find i feel like another just another chain in the hermetic link of transmission and so i mean you know i had someone say about your system i'm like not exactly i mean i'm just like i have my own ways of doing things like it's but it's like a musician you know you know if you learn you're going to follow your teacher lick for lick but at some point when you master you need to have some individuality but if you change it too much, you're no longer in that genre anymore, which is not wrong. It's just like you're not playing the blues anymore. 
I mean, you could change it so much that's no longer fits into that, you know, to that genre. And so, so, so that's, yeah, go ahead. As someone that has had a devotional relationship for over 15 years, um, what is your relationship like with these planets? How has it evolved or with these, you know, beings? I have a friend who's like, has conversations. Oh, cool. And I was like, wow, I'd like that. Cause I don't, I don't have anyone speaking to me and I don't have like, mm-hmm. cause that's another modern thing. Cause, well, do they appear to you like the gin, you know, out of a, you know, the bottle and the, that whole, you know, mm-hmm. invocation to physical appearance stuff is being, they're obsessed with that. Cause like physical reality is reality, right? So if it doesn't manifest in physical reality, <laughs> it's not really real, but it's right. kind of hard on a spiritual being to expect it to manifest physically. Cause it's not sure. physical. So I can't say that I have had like some spectacular, it'd be nice to have some spectacular stories about it, but or have conversations. I don't, I mean, everybody has a different range of it, but what I would say is that I, um, I certainly have a strong sense of like respect yeah, you know, and the reality of them. I mean, it's like, um, and I feel really happy to be have spread their venerate because the worship is one of those loaded words because the Christians, but veneration, the Catholics call it, you know, what the saints or angels, you venerate them. You want to do them. Yeah. Honor. Yeah. So like having spread that tremendously, it's like so many people are doing this stuff because i've yeah so i feel really good about that i feel like they they need more respect they don't mm. get enough respect so mm. it's like um cool that's also in terms of my like my you know i have i have this nice i have this nice as house and you know middle class mm-hmm. lifestyle mm-hmm. from i feel like from this from the planets you know from the celestial mm-hmm. angels you know mm-hmm. obviously i had to work for it and everything but i do feel like a lot of my success is coming from the fact that i have had such you know such a strong devotion to them so it's it's funny because people like you see this sort of a magician approach is more like give me the stuff yeah like i'm making this happen this is which is okay i mean that's not wrong it's just that's a particular stance Mm -hmm. but it's funny because i've seen stuff say well like you know they say well the 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 spirits are just doing what's best for me well that's garbage give me what i want I'm (laughs) i'm not sure that's the most effective way of getting stuff yeah you know because the american thing is, is like okay if you have a goal rush at it at full force with maximum power jam on it and that's the best way to get stuff and it's like well maybe not i mean if you want like the little animals to perch on your shoulder you can't start lunging at them you have to sit quietly and, and sit on your shoulder you know what i mean yeah it's yeah, like picking like, up a cat and putting it on your lap and yeah like, exactly oh, no yeah, it's just one of those things is like a lot of stuff it takes a little more subtle approach to it you know mm-hmm. and you let things develop on their own and so that's what i think about is like you know i i just feel like i look at some people sometimes with them just so i'm a sorcerer and it's like yeah but you seem kind of down at the heels and not that successful financially so it's like i don't, I don't know whereas i'm like you know i mean i didn't focus on money as my first thing but it's like i seem to be doing pretty well so mm-hmm. you know i wouldn't downplay the devotional approach as a reasonably effective way of actually getting material benefits either. I mean, again, but you can't focus on it as your main thing. It's one of those things is like, if you don't think of an elephant, you know, it's <laughs> like good luck with that. But it's like, I think that, you know, it's funny too, because we just had this on my group. Someone was posting about talismans for cities. Yeah. Yeah. And I said, well, I said, definitely in our traditional sources, there's lots of recipes for talismans that are supposed to affect the whole city so like, you're saying make a talisman for a specific city yeah for a and specific thing but it affects the supposedly affects the whole city now okay. like for example thabit de Minkura, who's a haranian sabian has a book called imaginibus which is sort of like talismans and has like if you want to 
bless the city with prosperity. You want to mm-hmm. cause terrible things to happen in the city. You can do either either different different mm-hmm. elections. And then they had this other one. Someone was posting about all these pest control. Like if you do this pest control one, there'll be no scorpions in the whole city. And I said, I don't think it's going to work. Mm. I said, I just don't think it's that powerful, which mm. is not to say it's not powerful, you know? So that's what part of the problem is that like the Arabian night, the thousand and one nights thing, you get that in your sources sometimes, you know, and they're kind of talking about, oh, I can do all this great stuff. And I'm like, yeah, really? It's like people nowadays saying that, oh, I, Trump lost the election because I did a spell on him. I'm like, yeah, I don't think so. I don't think that your magic is that powerful, that you're individually able to do that. Or I'm moving hurricanes around. Oh, I need that hurricane. I mean, at the same time, it's funny. I was thinking about that because it's like, I do, we have a cemetery near us, like two blocks away. And so I have this whole prayer thing. I go through the cemetery. And then in Japanese tradition, apparently the oldest, the first grave, the oldest person in the cemetery is like the guardian spirit of the cemetery Ooh, cool. so in this cemetery is almost 200 years old which is really old for iowa and the masons came back and did this new gravestone for the oldest grave and so i was oh. go to that and i'll basically you know ask to help the neighborhood you know mm-hmm. and um so i think it's helpful but it's sort of like my landscaping i mean i do all this i have this nicely <laughs> landscape house which I think has a really nice subtle effect on the neighborhood. People like it when they walk by the neighbors. I mean, I mean, neighbors next door, they moved in, they started planting stuff, you know, mm-hmm. it's like that to me is a little more magical effect as opposed to the boom, instantly I get what I want, you know, Harry Potter, mm-hmm. lightning bolts and that kind of stuff. I mean, part of it is like what your expectation. I was remember because Chris Brennan had me on his podcast and he kept asking me stuff from pictures. He said, well, if you do this, then, you know, showers of gold. Well, I said, nah, not really. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, oh, cause he could, you know, like I said, the thing about magic is it's real and right. because it's real, it can't be instant or all powerful. Mm-hmm. Just not, that's not real. Things aren't able to do that. And it's like, um, it's much more subtle again, cause you're dealing with these subtle underlying connections, right? Yeah. It's super powerful, but it's not necessarily going to be, you know, like bags of gold materializing is that's going to be pretty hard to have that happen. You know? Yeah. On the other hand, you like the, the, the magic that's really rampant now this um, a guy named Yon Kulianu, who was a divinity professor, wrote yeah. Arrows and Magic in the Renaissance. And he says right, that right. the modern magician occupies himself with marketing and cryptography and, you know, propaganda and stuff like that. And that's really where we see, because that's incredibly powerful. Like yeah, social media, for example, <laughs> is like basically built around hitting people's, you know, punching people's buttons. You yeah. know, right. It's incredibly powerful at that. And that is, that is magic, you know. More like caco magic, though. <laughs> It depends. I mean, you know, Hitler and Gandhi use the same methodology. Uh, yeah, it's you know? true. So it just depends on what your your outcome, what your what your what your purpose is of it. So it's yeah. like, um, so you know, that's but that's what I would say about it is that what you recognize is that magic is not all powerful and it's not fake. Yeah. So yes. you somehow find a balance in between those two of them, you know, and then, um, you know, it's, um. Yeah. So um, another another thing that you have in this book is uh, like the genius or higher the guardian angel. And um, because there's invocations of that um, and ways to find your the angel of your activity and things like in in these old texts. Um, Is it so is what you're doing the same thing as like the Abremelin ritual? And is that because you also hear sometimes people saying that like the knowledge and conversation of their holy guardian angel is like the same thing as enlightenment. And I don't, I mean, I don't, I don't know if that's true. I don't think that's true, but um, what is, is there a, 
is there a connection? And like, so, what's your, yeah. It's interesting because it's cert, certain stuff gets popular and then every, that's what everybody's basic idea of stuff is. So guardian angel yeah. is Abramelin, you know, right, that's basically right. like, that's what everyone's ever, one's ever heard of it. That's a long, I think it takes like six months. Yeah. That's a lot that of work is. for people. Yeah. And so conceptually it seems to be like, okay, you do this thing and you meet this being, right? Mm-hmm. This being appears, right? And then you, then you can do magic really well. That's why you do it. You know what I mean? It's sort of like that sort of seems to be the pop version of it is like there's this other being, right, that you get in contact with if you do all this ceremonial stuff and then you get stuff. It makes you a better magician. And so, you know, the guardian angel stuff is obviously way broader than that. And so it's also, you know, because like, who's my guardian angel? It's like, well, my view of it is that you have all sorts of spirits that are associated with you. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And um, there's a night, it's kind of a, it's a, a little bit of a mangling of a of a Talmudic saying, but it's like that, you know, every there's not it's something to the effect of there's not a blade of grass, but an angel blowing on it saying grow, grow. And it's like, yeah, I mean, I think everything has a guardian angel in, in that sense. But there's also this view that, you know, each of us, you know, is under a particular planet. Right. Right. And then like Plotinus talks about we can get promoted from having a, a daemon, which is not a demon, but an intermediary mm-hmm. spirit to a god. You know, if you increase the spiritual, you can, so you can move up, right? And so there's a lot, it's much more complex. Now, what's interesting about astrological stuff is that you can determine these names of, of basically it's a time Lord. So if yeah. you look at your natal chart, your natal chart is going to be unique to anybody that's born with say in about two or three minutes of you within about 50 miles. Mm-hmm. Okay. Because within that two to three times, time spent, you have the same degree on the ascendant. And within 50 miles, you have the same degree on the ascendant. But if you move more than that away or the timing, you're going to be different. So mm-hmm. if you're in maybe Manhattan, you might be multiple people that were born at, the, you know, at that time. So essentially what that name is and what you do is you look at certain points. So the typical ones that, that are like Agrippa uses are what called the high legal points, which are used for determining length of life. Mm-hmm. So they're the sun, the moon, the ascendant, the uh, part of fortune, and then what's called the prenatal syzygy, which is a fancy name for the, either the, the full moon or um, new moon that was immediate previous to your birth. Hmm. So look at those points, the degrees, right? So those, you can map them to a degree. And then what you do is you take each of the degrees and map them to a letter. And the, hmm. an easy way to do that is just start with zero Aries and make that A, and one Aries B, two Aries C, and just go all through the alphabet. Hmm. And so then it generates these letters, hmm. right? And so Typically, you you often have to add vowels in or whatever, you know. And I use English because I'm familiar with English. I mean, Hebrew. Other people use Hebrew or whatever. I'm not familiar enough with Hebrew to use it. So it generates this name of a time lord. And so I was a little reluctant to call it the guardian angel, but I had two people tell me, and actually a really close friend of mine as well, say, you know what? I did the Abermelon or I did this other stuff, and the names that the guardian angel used, at least one of the names, corresponded to that name that you gave gave me from the chart. So I was like, wow. okay. So there's an overlap between this time lord and the guardian angel stuff Uh so um but where i think it gets really interesting is like i mean you can go with the like okay i invoke it and i get the stuff and it's a separate thing right or you know the other thing about it is that the guardian angel is is you yeah Mm -hmm. you know it's a higher self yeah and Mm -hmm. one of the other things that's very interesting is the whole perfect nature discussion right yeah which is probably the most theurgic that Picatrix gets. Mm-hmm. And so Picatrix talks about the perfect nature as being 
the spirit of the sage united with the spirit of the planet ruling in their chart. So it's a really interesting combination of, and they say, this is the, 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 you know, this is the secret of knowledge, you know? So how is philosophy, you know, philosophy, knowledge, how do you know anything? You know, it's, it's all, it's perfect nature. And so, um, so there's this level of self-knowledge there, but in an astrological way. Mm-hmm. And so one of the things I was thinking about with it is that, you know, I was sitting there meditating and the sun was behind me. It was, I was casting a shadow. So I was looking at the shadow and thinking, okay, this is the, this is this, this shadow is a 2d sort of picture of me. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's created by this whole confluence of events. I have to be sitting there at this angle. The sun has to be at this angle. The light has to come and that produces this 2d thing. Yes. So that's really just a confluence <laughs> of all these different things, right? The shadow, but think about yourself as being the confluence of, of, you know, of all these influences, you know, particularly planetary influences. Like we think of ourselves as unique, but really, we're just, if you look at your chart, you can see you're a combination of planetary influences. Yeah. Mm. So that's another way to think about that knowledge, you know, that, that, and so that's like the guard, the, the, the guardian angel or whatever is your higher self, right? Is, the, and, and it's in the perfect nature is really the higher self in a planetary scene in a planetary perspective. So, cool. so that's, again, you know, I did that. This Picatrix has this ceremony to do, and, and the timing is really rudimentary. It's like the moon and, the first degree of Aries, you know, zero Aries. So I, I did it and it's like, it has this interesting recipe for like only one other rituals. Like most of the recipes in Picatrix are like, okay, and then take a goat and cut its head off and things like that, <laughs> which I don't do. But this yeah. one's like, get all these different, you know, like oil of almonds and all these different oils and flour and stuff. Actually, there wasn't any flour. It was all like oils and nuts. And that said, it sounds like cookies. So I gave the all the ingredients to my wife and she made Picatrix perfect nature cookies for me so i put them on the altar and did all this stuff and um so i got high from it i didn't have any like super you know what i also noticed is i was because i pay a lot of attention dream state that i was more awake in my dream state than normal Mm -hmm. i wasn't totally lucid but i was much felt like i was a much more of an awakened state so there wasn't a a consciousness raising effect of it for me in a mild way i'm afraid again that people do that ritual and expect you know spectacular yeah like it like that could be another thing where like repetition might deepen it like if or not more <laughs> okay this is one of those things it's like it's just a bit like you know again my teacher or my pointer you know the non-dual guy he got very suspicious of people that had spectacular waking experiences uh-huh yeah because all the fireworks and stuff tend to detract from the awareness and you uh-huh. tend to focus on the fireworks right and it's the awareness which is constant right is because always you're always aware right? There's awareness is always present. It never changes, right? The contents are constantly changing, right? So if you get focused on the content, you miss the point, which is to be aware of awareness. Yeah. And so that's what I, th- I think that the perfect nature stuff, I guess, like I said, I don't want to oversell stuff. Yeah. It's good for marketing, but it's like, it's better to have low expectations than high expectations. Yeah. I'd rather lower people's expectations too. Yeah, also, it's sort of like, you know, again, like I said, part of my frustration with this book was like, okay, A, I'm not enlightened entirely. I mean, if anybody is, I'm not sure. But second of all, I didn't get there through astrology. Right. So why am I writing this book? And I'm like, okay, no, I, there are, there's a lot of, it's, it's the first step and someone's going to have to come along and, and take the further steps with it. But I felt like, no, this is a firm foundation for it. And the theurgic, the perfect nature stuff is a really great, if you are advanced, right. And you've like you guys, and I'm like, 
like I said, I keep coming back to you're talking about non-dual, modern non-dual. I'm like, holy shit. Um, then this, the perfect nature stuff is certainly something if you're interested in that you could run with, you know, oh. and um, having that background, non-dual background, but also being interested in astrology and magic. It's like, yeah, that's definitely something to be thinking about and working with. Yeah. I mean, I'm really excited for this book. You know, there's a stuff right up my alley, you know, <laughs> yeah. well, that's what my wife said to me. She said, it's kind of a niche thing. And I said, yeah, but you know, for the people that are ready for it, it's like, wow, this is a trip, yeah. you know? Yeah. And what I think, like I said, the key is so much, so much of our modern stuff is in a state of unconsciousness. We're yeah. not aware of our a philosophy of our unconscious assumptions. We're coming from an atheistic materialistic perspective. We don't recognize it. And it's like, we're trying to be new age spiritual, which is spiritual on top of this non, you know, non, there's no, there's no spiritual reality. And then we're trying to be spiritual on top of it. And it causes a lot of confusion, you know, and people's automatic assumption about things, like I said, goes material. Yeah. Again, if you ask people, how's astrology work, right? You know, it's, oh, sunspots, magnetism. It's like, absolutely not. There's no scientific evidence of material energy causality for, for astrology. So that's, oh, it's beams, some kind of spiritual beams, right? But again, it's coming from that, which, you know, Al Kindi, he wrote a book called The yeah. Stellar Rays. But it's like the reason people are into it now is because, again, they're coming from an atheistic materialistic perspective. And yeah. so um, that's a shaky foundation to build a spiritual practice on is, is the underlying view that there's no nothing spiritual. It's just really, but, you know, philosophical consistency is not that important to most people. You know, it, I was obsessed with it, but most people don't worry about that sort of stuff. They just get on with their lives. The problem is, is when that gets in your way, you know, it's also sad too. It's like most, I think a lot of people have an innate spiritual, you know, compassion and spiritual sense and all that sort of stuff, but they don't have any kind of officially that, you know, it's like, you know, life is meaningless and random and, you know, everything you die and all that sort of stuff. That's, and so that's sad, you know, it's just interesting. There's no, there's no, there's no support officially for what they feel. You know, so it's like Star Trek. They always talk about emotions being irrational. Oh, it's so irrational. It's like, you know, no, it isn't. You know, it's like that was just that's that weird, this is weird dichotomy. You know, it's like that binary choice between like, you know, you're gonna have to be a fundamentalist Christian or a you know, an atheist scientist, you know what I mean? It's like I refuse to accept either one of those as my as my outcome. Quit giving me these fake choices. <laughs> I'm gonna do the my own, I'm gonna do my own thing. Yeah. Know? Which is perfectly rational. Once you accept the, uh, a spiritual worldview, right? Everything follows. It's all very logical. You know, it makes a lot of sense. Now, you don't have to go one way or the other, but it's not crazy anymore. Mm -hmm. You know, so I think that's one of the first things to say. Can you? Can I? Because as a as an attorney, I'm basically a rhetorician, right? Which is a yeah. persuasive logician. You know, I have to think logically, but I also have to be persuasive. And so it's like I want to have a logical basis for what I'm doing. I want to understand what I'm doing. You know, and so that's really affected my astrological practice very strongly because I want to have the same thing. I want to, I don't understand. I want to understand how this works. I don't want to just do it. Oh, it works. It's like, and that's good enough. I'm like, why, how does it work? What's the model while recognizing that's just a model. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Without saying this is reality and everybody else has to conform to my reality. It's like, mm -hmm. this is, this is the way to square the circle with, uh, you know, like this whole astromagia thing is like, you know, these are different viewpoints, right? Right. So, so I, it's funny because my astro major lecture is going to talk about, okay, these are the, these are potentially this logical that there's these viewpoints, you know, there's these binary choices you can make, you know, and how you define astrological magic and people are going to fall along those different, you know, possibilities. So it's like, you don't have to convince each other, which is right. 
Because if there is no objective reality, then we don't have to worry about the right one, right? But you don't have to be totally like subjective either, because that's not, you know, we have a compare, we can compare it to reality. I mean, you can test stuff and see if it works or not. And that's, that gives you some kind of testing of it. So, you know, but that's my message really for the astrological community is like, you know what, if we recognize that these are models, then we can recognize there's valid choices. You know, there are different choices and someone doesn't do the same thing I do doesn't mean they're wrong. Right. But at the same time, it doesn't mean that anything goes either. Yeah. And that's hard for people to handle. It's either, well, I can do whatever I want. The funny thing about doing whatever you want is it happens to be the same as the 10,000 other people with the same worldview <laughs> that you have. You know what I mean? So it's not unique at all. You know, I mean, it's like advertising, like be yourself by buying our product and being like the 100,000 other people with our product. It's like right. fake individuality, you know, and also this, re this rebellion stuff that's been sold to people. You know, oh yeah, be rebellious, you know, and, and the manipulation and the consumer capitalism stuff that's comes through that. Um, but you know, so that's that's it's that it's a middle path again in those. Yeah. So I do have um, another question for you, um, and this relates to every blade of grass uh, having a, an angel, and this is um, so each talisman that you make um, has a different chart right and so is there in, in your opinion is there a spirit of each individual talisman or are they a like a phone line to mercury for instance or venus for instance or because like in there's mercury in gemini there's mercury in virgo there's you know and every chart is totally different there you can't make the same exact talisman you know okay so there's a lot of stuff there okay so yeah. first of all why does it have to be any one? Uh -huh. I mean, it's like the blind men and the elephant, you know, the elephant's like a, like a snake, you know, no, the elephant's like a, you know, it's like a wall. No, the elephant's like a column. You know what I mean? So you're, you're getting pieces of the reality or descriptive. So no, it's this, no, it's that. It's like, well, you both are right. Um, so it's interesting in, cause I'm very, very strongly influenced by Japanese stuff and my Zen stuff, but also Shinto, you can see right behind me up there. That's mm -hmm. like what's called the Kamidana. Yeah, which is a Shinto altar that you would have in your house. And so it's got, um, you know, kami, which are like, it's translated in English as gods, which is a very bad translation. It's really bad. spirits is more how I translate it. And the, the Shinto is very, quote, animistic. I mean, everything's alive. So one of the things that they'll do is, in fact, this is interesting because this has got foxes as the guardians, white foxes, which are Anari. He's the, a very famous um, kami, you know, rice and all sorts of different things like that. Um, they have what they call divided spirits. So what I've got in there are called ofuda, which are like wooden plaques, which are like got kami in them, you know, are connected to the kami or however you want to conceptualize it. But the, the next step up is to have your own little shrine and they do a special ceremony and they take the spirit of the shrine and split it. Like a, think of a candle. If I light the candle flame off of one and take mm. the candle, mm. I've got two burning candles. Are they separate or the same? <laughs> so that's what they do with the spirits, right? Mm -hmm. And so that's what I would say about the, the Mercury spirit in the talisman is that, of course, everything's got a unique spirit, but then it's been lit off of the main mm -hmm. Mercury. It also is a phone line because yeah. it's connected. It's going to connect. You know what I mean? It's, it's yeah. never stopped being connected. So it's all those things. Yeah. So um, now the chart stuff is interesting because here's what happens. People are coming out of modern astrology. Yeah. Modern astrology is all natal. Uh-huh. So it's like being a carpenter with only a hammer in your toolbox. 
So if you if you if you're if there's a you know broken window, I'm going to take my hammer out. If it's a screw, I'm going to take my hammer out. It's like you only have one tool, so use natal for everything. And so, you know, that seems logical because that's all there is basically. And um, so what they'll do is, you know, they've heard of people like I have my chart and my my you know my partner's chart, so I'll compare the charts, which is logical because they're people, right? The problem with the talisman is not a person. So a talisman, okay, third house, the talisman is its neighbors. Its fourth is its family. Fifth is its children. Seventh is its spouse of the talisman. You know what I mean? It's like, it's not the same. It's since it's, it's, it's not a human, right? What do those houses mean, right? And so you don't relate to the talisman the same way you relate to a human, right? So that's, so that's the problem with conceptually to me with the sinistry of your chart. The other thing is the problem with modern astrology is to kind of make it up as you go along. And so the tendency would be very random. There's not a methodology. It'd be very random. So there's maybe 50 factors that could jump out at them. So they'll look at the chart and go, oh, look, I had somebody say to me, she said, oh, well, I, I did the, I did a, I don't know how they did the, some kind of combined chart of my husband and mine. And the midpoint of, you know, the galactic vertex was sextile algal. And I was like, what? I mean, okay, I'm sure you can find something. You know what I mean? It's like, right, right, right. look, I found it. And I was like, yeah, I mean, it's like you can find any way to connect any chart if you want to do it that way. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? And that, so that's the problem is no methodology. But that's what people say, because people come to me and they'll say, well, you said that because, for example, let's say Venus is in Libra in their natal chart. I'm like, oh, well, that's great. Venus is really dignified. Venus talismans are good for you. You already have a good relationship with Venus. That's my conceptual model. Mm -hmm. This is my own thing. There's many ways to do it. When you particularly get into that, I don't insist mine's right by any means. But anyhow, that's what I do. And so they say, well, you've got five Venus talismans. Which one should I use? I'm like, I'm not able to tell you further other than Venus is compatible. And that's problematic because people would like me to say, well, this is the best one for you. And I'm like, I don't know that. Mm -hmm. It'd be good for marketing, but I just can't bring myself to, to lie to myself first and then start lying to my clients about it. Because mm -hmm. I don't know. You know what I mean? It's just like, I can't honestly say that. So what I say now is I say, I like this one. Yeah. Like in the restaurant, like what, you know, what do you, I say, oh, I like such and such. It doesn't mean it's going to be the best for you or you're going to like, this, this mm -hmm. is what I like. So at mm -hmm. least give people some, help in that which i i can i can live with that but i can't say to people people always come you say what's the best talisman for me it's like saying what's the best vacation for me <laughs> right what do you want to do yeah you know and but again the, the natal is the focus and so obviously the natal chart will tell me everything and that's all you need is here's the natal chart what's the best one for me and i'm like i don't know i mean i mean venus is strong in your chart do you want a love talisman do you want venus qualities so it's just it's just it's one of those things is like again they have a model which I recognize. So I need to work with their model. Right. But they don't understand that and they don't know my model. So that's, that could be problematic because people, what people do is they'll come up with this convoluted stuff and they'll say, this is right. Isn't it, Chris? And I'm like, well, I use a different method. And they're like, well, what about this? And I'm like, I don't know about that. I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's like, it's just, it's odd, you know, because people, but then well, people won't use my method either. So I don't like your method, but I want you to sign off on my method. And I'm like, well, so I get into these weird tangles with customers mm -hmm. from time to time about mm -hmm. stuff like that. But it's one of those things. It's like, what's amazing is that we have an explosion of knowledge. Mm -hmm. So that anyone knows about the stuff at all is kind of incredible. So I'm grumbling about, rah, 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 rah. it's like this actually people have a pretty sophisticated knowledge of various stuff. And so that's cool. You know, that talismans, I mean, you know, 50 years ago, I would have been arrested for fraud for doing it, but people wouldn't even know what to do with it. Where now people are like, I mean, fixed stars, for example, that's the cutting edge thing. I mean, that's what I'd say that's where people are getting into now. If you're kind of, they know about planets. So they're like moved into fixed stars as being the next hot thing. 
So that's that's kind of cool. But again, you give someone like a deck antalism and they're just like, whoa, that's just a little too weird for people. So <laughs> yeah. I had someone recently asked me, I was like, why don't you have this this deck? And I'm like, I said, I'm like, dude, nobody wants to buy those talismans. They're just too weird. And we'll do them from time to time, but it's just too odd for people. Mm -hmm. So you can't get too far ahead of the market with that yeah. kind of stuff. But so I have a question yeah, go ahead. about um, the when you're talking about guardian angels and everyone having a spirit um, or spirits that, you know, take interest to them. Why do the celestial spirits care about the affairs of humans? Do what they? I would say about that is that there's a whole range of different kinds of spirits mm -hmm. and they range from our point from being good to neutral to evil mm -hmm. or, and then also they range from being really interested in what we're doing to indifferent to they could care less. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? So it's yeah. just the, the thing, the thing I'd say about the celestial that they're the ones I'm working with. I think, I mean, Ficino talks about, he says, there's this chain of, you know, from stars to planets, to people to material objects you know it's also with the spirits as well and so there's all sorts of different ways you can interface with this you know, like with mars you can interface at a demon level you can interface at a sort of goetic spirit level you can do it at a daemon level you can do it at an archangelic level and that's where i want to plug in is at archangelic level and the archangels i mean they're angelic so they're benign and their job is to be concerned about people and the guardian angel that's what they do that's what their folk their purpose is so every Everything has an angel, like every country has an angel. I think of that with the United States. It's like the archangel of the United States to me is like the Statue of Liberty. Uh huh. You know, mm -hmm. it's like, you know, give me your tired, your huddled poor. You know, that's very positive liberty, you know, equality, all that sort of stuff. The, the, the demon of America is, I, I get the sense of like having like the, like almost like a Syrian, like eagle head, you know, and mm -hmm. hover with armor, you know, like the seal mm -hmm. of the United States and it's like dripping with blood, you know, kind yeah. of thing. <laughs> Well, like that's, well, that's yeah, the shadow yeah. side. That's yeah. the shadow side. You got the light side and the dark side, you know, mm -hmm. but the, the angels, their job is to be, they, they do things like an angel means angelus, a messenger. They have, they have work to do. Like angel of death doesn't like killing people, but that's, that's their job, right. you know? And right. so the angels that are concerned with us, that's because that's what their job is to do. It kind of reminds me, have you seen the movie? Um, in, in, it's in German, it's called Der Himmel über Berlin, but it's the wings of desire. And it's a Wim Wenders film. And it's really trippy because it's about angels. Mm. And so they have all these scenes in Berlin where the wall was there and the angels are, they're basically recording, they're noticing things. And so mm. everywhere they go, the people can't, see, and children can see the angels, but the average person can't see them. And there's all these, you know, they, they're funny. They dress in like overcoats and have ponytails. Mm -hmm. And so they're just watching everything, you know, recording mm. everything. And, um, you know, it's funny because people get freaked out and every sometimes they'll just like, you know, put their arm on the shoulder and then the person like feels better. It's mm -hmm. like, and we've, I, I've had that experience. I mean, Zoll, Robert Ziller, my teacher said that the angels work, he said, per modem suedensis, by persuasion, by implanting thoughts or ideas in you. So, I mean, I've had situations where I'm really freaked out and then I'll suddenly be like, oh, but I don't need to worry about that. Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah. And that to me is like, that's an angelic, you know, that's a guardian angel, you know, and, um, so that's what I would say about it is that they're, they're very benign beings and, but they're super powerful. Another thing that's interesting, like, you know, the modern fiction, like Neil Gaiman, is that, am I pronouncing that correctly? Gaiman. Gaiman? I don't know. Again, I must, I, I read everything, so I don't know how right. to pronounce it. Yeah, that's cool. But uh, same thing with that. And the guy that wrote the, um, his dark materials, you know, golden compass. Yeah. What's interesting about both those books is that the weakness of this, 
of the of like angels in those. They're defeatable by humans. Right. You know? And it's that whole, again, atheistic, materialistic kind of like exaltation of the ego self, right? You're yeah. so powerful that you can defeat, you know, Archangel. Like, what are you talking about? You mm -hmm. I mean, to me, like the Archangel of Jupiter is so powerful and so beyond me. I just, it's like, to me, it's like being in the presence of a judge. I mean, again, as a lawyer, yeah. my thing. I want to like, wear a blazer. Whoa. I know exactly. Yeah. <laughs> like, I want to be very respectful. Yeah. And it's like this idea that, see, the Solomonic approach is to order them around. But I don't think you're dealing with that powerful spirits if you're able to order them around. True. I mean, ultimately, I just don't think they're that powerful. So that's what I would say about it is that that's my conceptualization of it. You know, that's how mm -hmm. I approach it. But that's that's what I'd say is these super powerful beings that are very positive and um, just to be able to hang out with them is a privilege and it's transformative mm -hmm. and uplifting just to be in their presence. And so that I like it. But see, some people like that and some people like want to do sorcery. So I'm like, okay, you know, it's sort of like summer born to sweet delight and summer born to endless night. I mean, everybody has a Dharma, you know? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's like Blake through the doors, you know, mm -hmm. all my, all my, my classical knowledge is filtered through pop culture, but, um, <laughs> the, um, but that's what I would say about it is just like, you know, luckily I haven't been called upon. It's funny though. Cause I say that too. It's like, I'm saying, I don't have to be a vessel of wrath. It's like, except I do evictions. Like that's some pretty heinous stuff. I remember when I'm starting off, but the reason I do them is like, because um, basically it's dealing with problem tenants. I have these small landlords that I, that I, cause I do both landlords and tenants. I have a weird practice. I represent both. Mm -hmm. And so the landlords, I mean, you can't have somebody who's like, for example, we had a situation where someone let their pit bulls run free in a mobile home park and they finally bit this kid. And so and they worsen wouldn't stop. Even after that, she was letting the dogs run free. So we had to evict her. So it's like for the for the safety of the rest of the tenants. Yeah. So, but it's a pretty rough. That's a that's the that's like you know the the legal thing is like the the sword and the and the scales. Totally. That's the sword side of it. Right. Well, that's what I say is like you know even though I say oh I don't want to be a vessel of wrath, it's like in that sense I am a vessel of wrath. Yeah. So it's like, but, so that's what I would say. Each of us is basically has, you know, we have a dharma. Each of us has a duty. You know, and we fulfill ours and the angels fulfill theirs by being concerned about us. Mm. Yeah. Mm -hmm. An ordered cosmos. Yes, very much. Or and some chaos too. Yeah, sure. You know, this well, is like it could room. be, it has to be a little bit of 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 you know of craziness and stuff that goes on. You know, it's like just look at react. I mean, look at look at our, you know, 2022. It's like obviously there's a chaos, you know, has has um absolutely. Yeah. Well, there's there's wiggle room too. I mean, and yes. When, when I look at this karma as habit, right? So there there is possible if there is free will, you know, it's the ability to change your habits, and so you can. But then there's like inborn. I don't know about free will. Right. It's something. I mean, I'm an astrologer, <laughs> so we we tend to be votaries of fate. You know what I mean? Which is so unpopular. But you're so, also a magician, <laughs> and magicians kind of, you know. I mean, what I my I. It's funny because I did this rats rat. My only yeah. pest control talisman, my only malefic talisman, was the first one I did in, in 1998. And I said at the end of it, I, you can see on my website, it says "Rats Be Gone." It talks about it. At the end of it, I said, "I don't know whether I announced that or I caused it." Mm -hmm. So that's what I would say about them. I mean, the magician to be a magician, you need to come from a perspective of will because you got to take action. Yeah. But whether or not you, the ego self is the cause of that, it's like I would, I don't, I don't. I don't know. I mean, the, the thing about it is, is that the modern God is the ego self, right? 
Yeah. And, and, and how many movies have you seen where it's like, for example, Adjustment Bureau? Have you seen that movie? I don't think so. Yeah. I'm not, don't Adjustment Bureau is like, it's from a Philip K. Dick story. Okay. And yeah. it's about this guy who's a politician and he steps off the, the path, so to speak. So there's these guys, like angel guys, that have like a plan. And they got to get everybody back on the plan again. And the end of the movie is he just, he's like, you know, screw fate. You know, that's a trope. And that's yeah. kind of the thing is like, I don't have to, you know, I don't. And that was like, that's much more popular modern. Now the, the more traditional approach is the death in the marketplace trope. Now, and what that is, is that, so a guy is like, he sees, um, um, I mean, I, I'm not going to remember it. Shoot. Oh yeah. He sees death right hmm. and death sort of was waves to him and he's in like you know whatever samarkand or whatever so like oh shit so he freaks out he runs home he gets on his horse and rides as fast as he can by night and he finally arrives and you know you know whatever 100 miles away in like tehran or whatever and then he's walking into the marketplace and the devil says oh yeah i saw you in samarkand i was going to tell you i was going to meet you in tehran <laughs> 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 right yeah you know that's a more traditional book because i think the older you know the the you know before now you didn't have air conditioning and all this sort of stuff you know and lights and all yeah. that and this myth that we don't you know we're separate i mean people were much more had much more um precarious lives and i think they could see fate much more clearly totally. and so that's what i would say is like i mean just look at climate change yeah is something going to be done about climate change <laughs> No, really? I mean, it's just like, we can't help it. And even though you can see it, we're just locked into it. We can't even help it. I still turn on my air conditioner. I still drive my car. Exactly. You know, it's like, and we tell each other these, we tell these stories about it, but that's the saying is like the free will though, is like free will is, a, I think for the most part a potentiality because insofar as like, okay, yeah. I want, I want a Mercedes. Is that free will? Or is that something that's no. been implanted in you? It's a desire, a desire exactly. Yeah. That's been manipulated through, you know, consumer capitalist marketing or whatever. I mean, how much of what we want is truly, you know, and then what we want is um, uh, who we are, you know, mm. I like to, I love court. I love it. There's nothing. I mean, I just, I just love it so much. It's like, well, that's because I was, that's what I was made to do. My cat, he loves, he loves to hunt. I mean, that's his dharma. He's, he's, he's wonderful at it. You know, he's beautiful mm -hmm. at it. But is that a free will choice of his? No, you know? exactly. How much of what, how much can we point to free will? So mm -hmm. that's what I would say about it, is it, it is, it is an important perspective though, insofar as, insofar as it appears to be a choice, you want to make the right choice. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the thing is it's like, insofar as you can choose, you want to make that choice. That's positive, that, that has a re good rebirth, right. Mm -hmm. Or as an enlightenment choice. If that's, again, if that's your path.